Listening to Pop It on 102.9 Unity Radio or UnityRadioMA.org. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Today on Pop It, we will talk about radio and podcast gender bias and some of our favorite female voices to take hold of the airwaves. We'll also hear from experts Lance Riensterna and Tim Polari about what it takes to rack up millions of downloads on iTunes and the story behind their breakout podcast success, Missing Maura Murray. Mm, I'm very excited to talk about that. I'm now, Me too. now that I've gotten familiar with the story, I'm like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. all in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a pretty yeah. intriguing mystery. Yes, well, that would um, be excellent. I'm also curious, obviously, Molly and I have no formal training being on the radio. No, I, had, I Listen, I, t- I had some radio producing classes in college. Did you know? I, yeah, a few. I'm a impressed. Before I changed my major. <laughs> well, at any rate, we want to learn. I yes, want to learn, right. you know? I don't, I don't remember. And much. I don't know, Molly, do you <laughs> want to describe the visual of when we approached Ernie and asked him, like, why yeah. he didn't have more women on the radio, what he did? He, it was great he he like literally right he like lifted two hands up and then just like he like anointed us yeah he like kind of like like he sort of like bowed to sarah with his two hands and then bowed to me and just was like okay you're it congratulations (laughs) all right great exactly (laughs) and i will say that that came after our complaint that there were not enough women on wuty but that's not like unique to this radio station a lot of local stations are lacking in Mm -hmm. female voices Mm -hmm. um and this is new england's second largest city you know and wtag shares the same problem their hosts local Mm -hmm. and syndicated are almost entirely men Um, and we want to help make it easier for women to be heard in Worcester and on iTunes, right? We've put yes. this out as a podcast as well. Um, and to Ernie's credit, I have to say he was very open to it immediately. Like he yes. was like, oh, yes. Like he <laughs> Which said, was great. this is the void yep. that we want yeah. to fill. So that was cool. Um, I read this Economist piece that came out last year, and it had reported that only 13% of top podcasts were hosted by women. And at the time, they found that in America specifically, men were hosting 63 of the top wow. 100 podcasts on their own. And only 13 were hosted by women on their own. And then mm-hmm. the rest was all mixed teams. So this isn't yeah. a new problem. Right. I feel like a lot of it's uh, – well, I actually remember – and this isn't radio necessarily, but even a couple of years ago, I think it was like WHDH Channel 7 mm-hmm. put on two women anchors. And it was like a big deal because – in their evening broadcast because yeah. it was always either a mi- like a mixed team and – they were like, oh, we're going to, this is who we want to be the anchors. And people were like, whoa. And it was like, fine. It turned out fine because they were just news anchors. Of course. But it and was just a new thing. I think this idea of silence, you know, has yeah. been drilled into women's heads for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I was reading this Guardian piece. Um, it was written by a woman named Anna Karpf. And it really resonated with mm-hmm. me. It was called Fear and Loathing of Women on the Radio. And it chronicled a lot of the terrible things that had been said historically about women's voices. Um, Aristotle said silence is a woman's glory. Mm-hmm. In the 18th and 19th centuries, it was argued that if women persisted in speaking in public, their uteruses would dry up. Oh, my God. Henry James compared the female voice to the moo of a cow. Henry. 
1927, which really wasn't that long ago, no. you know, all things considered, Less Bell Laboratories, which is now Nokia. Yep. Um, they released this statement about their equipment, and they said, the speech characteristics of women when changed to electrical impulses do not blend with the electrical characteristics of our present-day radio equipment. <laughs> As if, like, our voices were disabled, like were not like, their yeah. equipment, yeah. you know? I hope that this microphone doesn't spontaneously combust <laughs> now that I'm speaking into it. Exactly. <laughs> um, 1928, women try to make inroads in the radio industry, and it's reported that some listeners... Uh, say that women's voices become monotonous after a time. Her high notes are sharp and resemble the filing of steel, while her low notes often sound like groans. Oh, God. Yeah, well, and that the <laughs> groan, right, is yeah. the idea of vocal fry. I was going to say, that's fry, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I know the Today Show reported, it was maybe even in 2011, that this was like harming women's voices yeah, as if it was that. some sort of epidemic. Yeah. And then all of these researchers responded mm -hmm. and said, no, that is not at all the case. Nope. It is not hurting our That's voices. A, yeah. And when we say vocal fry, I would describe it as like the creak at the end of a sentence. Yeah. I don't know. How do you describe I, vocal fry? Um, I would just, so I, I can actually... Whenever I hear vocal fry, I always just think of this one character on this TV show, this Canadian TV show called Shit's Creek. It's very silly. It's a funny show. It's I've seen this it. family, yeah, and it's this. Um, that's the name of the family who owns Spelled this town. Spelled with C H. Yes. yes. But the daughter on the show is like she's a you know she's like an heiress, like Paris Hilton type, and she very often will be like, "It's so cute." Mm -hmm. She just will call things so. cute, and that's I always just think of that. I'm like, oh. That's it's like your fry. vocal cords yes. are fluttering or something. Yes. And there was this um, this American Life episode about mm -hmm. vocal fry a few years ago where Ira Glass reported that the most angry email listeners that came to NPR that year had all been about women's voices. Oh. And these are his coworkers, right. you know? And yep. he said that they got emails that said that the women's voices were irritating, annoyingly adolescent. Did they get shrill? shrill. <laughs> distractingly disgusting, appalling, detracting from the credibility of the journalist, degrading <laughs> the value of the reportage and the list goes on and on Oy. i'm sure they got at least one shrill. Yeah. so i just i have to say that i think our willingness to put our voices out there is at least going to help normalize some of the listening experience definitely um and there are plenty of great role models out there molly mm -hmm. are there any women on radio shows or podcasts who you really admire yeah i mean so the first one that i think of and i think that this is like it's she's just like a stalwart in new england of Radio Voices Pebbles, who is now on um, Hot 96.9. Ramira Pebbles? Yeah, so Sorry, she's now in the morning. Youth. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so she's now on the Hot 96.9 in the morning. They kind of poached her, but she, for years and years, was on JAMA 94.5. Um, right, Ramiro and Pebbles, Balthazar and Pebbles. Um, but, like, I remember in middle school, I used to drive to school with my Aunt Lynn, and she would always have, like, the JAMA 94.5 morning show on. And Pebbles was just, like, this – she she – kept everyone in line but she had her own personality and so she and I and I have actually read about her before like she's um a very prominent figure for like women in hip-hop radio and in just like Boston area New England radio like she has she's a huge influence and in the that. 90s I remember she coming came up, back from college and being devastated that her voice was no longer yes. on 94.5 it was Ashley who's also very funny yes. you know but but it's right yeah um but she's kind of her own like figure she really stands um as someone who I'm like oh <laughs> Definitely. Yes. And I love the sound of her voice also. That is another thing that I always remember thinking like when I was in eighth grade, like I just, I liked to listen to her talk. Yeah. Um, Acoustically but, pleasing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. So as far as like, I listen to a podcast called How Did This Get Made? 
which is um, two guys, Paul Shear and Jason Manzukis, um, and then Paul Shear's wife, June Diane Raphael, who's also a comedy actor in her own right. She's hilarious, but she is... <laughs> and it's funny, because the two guys are very... They're, you know... Especially Jason Mizukas, he's loud and he he says he has a lot to say and he he does a lot of the like he's always like that's bonkers. They talk about terrible movies and basically just walk you through them. Ooh, what kind of terrible movie? Um, well, my favorite episode is oh god, what's that movie called? I can't even think of it now. Oh no! Mom. Oh, Roller. Wait, Roller Babies. Oh, it's something. It's this crazy movie with Jamie Gertz from the eighties. But they they basically talk you through it. Um, and then there's that one. Oh, I can't remember any of the movies now. Just awful. Oh, anyway. like Mannequin 2. But June Diane, um, keep, it's, she's so funny in her own right. And she's like, she's always just like, it's so upsetting. And you just you just roll with her. Um, but yeah, I listen to mostly like comedy stuff. I know. Um, and Sarah, you listen to a lot of different, not quite just like straight comedy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love Linda Holmes. So that's Pop mm-hmm. Culture Happy Hour from NPR. And mm-hmm. I've been listening probably for, I don't know. Oh, six years mm-hmm. um but I'm at the point where when I take in certain types of pop culture I hear her voice like she's sitting on my shoulder or something oh, I love that and I start to formulate ideas about them like in her voice in my mind because I have associated her so closely with film and television criticism yep. um I love Anne Friedman and Amina Tussauds from Call Your Girlfriend particularly because yes. they've got this like very well-developed shine theory right for women where they celebrate other women in their circle and they're always saying I don't shine if you don't shine it's really supportive that. of yes. other women you know, it's less competitive. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sarah Koenig of Serial, yeah. you know, um, that was the fastest Iconic. podcast ever to reach 5 million streams yep. and downloads on iTunes. Um, murder is very hot right now among the it podcast is. ladies. <laughs> Karen MFM. Kilgariff, yeah. my favorite murder, yeah. Yeah, and there is a recent New York Times piece about my favorite murder um, that has really been like a permanent fixture on top of the iTunes podcast charts. And it's drawn up to 19 million listeners a month, Karen and Georgia. And they've tapped into this intimate relationship, right? That can be forged when you're like literally speaking into your listeners' ears about topics that are traditionally off limits for women. Um, So the Times piece said, there is a scientific explanation behind the show's success. A study published in 2010 found that women use tales of rape, murder, and serial killers as a way to process the dark persistence of misogyny violence in society at large that's so interesting that yeah. makes me think of um like the popularity popularity of like jillian flynn's stories like Certainly. gone girl and sharp objects definitely mm-hmm. and about like girlhood trauma and that kind of stuff yeah so for us i don't think it makes sense to start totally from scratch mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to growing into our radio show and i'm not afraid to ask the men who are doing it really well and have experienced a tremendous amount of success to be our mentors, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know more about the technical elements of building a following Me on podcasts. Too. And so I think our guests, when we come back, are going to be yes. able to help us do that. Um, Lance Rianstera and Tim Polari have just walked in the studio. And when we get back, they're going to talk about how they racked up millions of downloads on iTunes with their podcast, Missing Maura Murray. We will be right back on 102.9. Say you never ever leave from beside me. I want you, and I need you, and I'm down for you always, KB, do you love me, are you riding? We are back on Pop It, I'm Molly, and I'm Sarah, and you are listening on 1029 Unity Radio, or UnityRadioMA.org. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. All right, we are back. 
Yeah, I'm very excited. I know. And Molly, <laughs> so I understand by inviting our two guests, yes. I have also invited the problem of mansplaining, right? So this is an issue that we're talking about. We are a feminist podcast. Yeah. And um, so I was hoping you could just kind of explain to us what that phenomenon is. What yes. does it mean to be mansplained um, to? Mansplaining is generally when a woman, a woman or a, just a non-man, is explains something that they know about already um or or in and a way an that expert on and then yeah, the man well, right. responds right yes and then and they get well actually that's the well actually ah. um yeah that's the like that's like the twitter kind of verbiage for it gotcha. um but yeah it's essentially like when someone knows about something and then someone's like well let me actually tell you about so it it's important <laughs> that we admit our ignorance that yeah. we don't know a lot about podcasting no. and we're here because we feel that there are not enough women's voices on the radio locally in particular um and we've yes. looked at the stats and there aren't a ton of female hosts who have their own exclusive show right um most shows are either hosted by a combination of men and women or mm-hmm. by um just men mm-hmm. now the two of you have experienced so much success um we would like to introduce both of you can you tell us who you are what podcast you're involved with sure i'm tim polari and uh my partner in crime here in true crime is lance (laughs) reinsterna what's going on thanks for having us on you have a beautiful uh beautiful (laughs) studio here thank you we're actually in the uh, basement of the mechanics bank and the vault is right through that door Mm -hmm. don't Ah. lock yourself in there we don't know how to get out it's like gringotts yeah, just like Greg. <laughs> we, we could maybe enlist someone to break you out based on our uh, I guess listeners. If you wanted to disappear, you could <laughs> hide in the vault. <laughs> now, Molly, you mentioned there's already a male radio personality you have learned a lot from. <laughs> well, yes and no. Um, I, I love Frasier. I've watched Frasier <laughs> all the way through a couple times in the past like three years even. Um, but I was – so Sarah – brought like kind of brought this idea up to me and I was trying to think about it and he's like have have I learned from Frasier not really he's not a great radio host well I mean he is his voice is great but he he cuts people off a lot he ends he abruptly ends conversations if he doesn't like what the guest is saying um you know he's always talking about it whatever he's got going on and so it's always Roz his producer Roz who we've brought up before um who kind of keeps him in line and she'll hold up signs she'll she'll just yell at him um so it's Roz I've learned a lot from really so can I ask the two of you do you have a producer in the studio with you when you record no no we're we are our own producers ah I see and you've got three different podcasts going on we do yeah it's missing Maura Murray crawl Mm -hmm. space and empty frames how Mm -hmm. often are you filming or taping uh an episode (laughs) for each of those things um, on average, we do two Mo- Missing Maura Murray episodes a month, and we're we're going to be four crawl spaces a month very soon, and Empty Frames was two per month and during the run of the first season, which has ended. So we will be back with, a, with some more, though. Right. We have a creative way to um, do an in-between, in-between season one and season two of Empty Frames, which is sort of a 1.5. Gotcha. And do you, when you guys are taping, do you tape like a few in a row or do you do you space them out like as you send them out yeah we usually record it and then edit it in the next week you know turn Mm -hmm. it around in a week or so Mm -hmm. and uh yeah record again so i'm curious how you went from mystery dinner theater performers to acclaimed podcasters did it happen overnight (laughs) i mean i feel like i feel like the uh (laughs) i feel like that that transition is just obvious and we woke (laughs) up one day after going to sleep one night and we were podcasters. After a hugely successful murder mystery dinner show, <laughs> partied all night, 
woke up around you know, the crack of 3 p.m. And <laughs> of course. We, were, we, were, we, we looked around where we thought, well, we could really make an impact on some true crime locally first and then nationally you know, later. Gotcha. <laughs> it didn't happen like that at all. No. Yeah. Wow. You must be really great performers. No, take us through the journey of the first couple of years. Hmm. Well, we started the Missing Maura Murray podcast uh, because we were working on a documentary. Um, and we started that documentary back in 2013, which was documenting the armchair sleuths, uh, citizen detectives, if you will, who follow the Maura Murray case. And so we, we shot some stuff. And we felt like we didn't really have a movie yet. And so we were like, we should try to meet more of these people. And so we were trying to meet more people, but it wasn't as easy as it seemed because a lot of these armchair detective kind of people are private. They don't like to share their information. They don't even like to meet you in person a lot of times. Um, so we started the podcast to try to kind of put out some of the information we had gathered, um, some of the I guess rumors like we had no idea that this podcast was going to be popular. You know, we, we were just doing it to meet more people to film for this documentary. Yeah. The mystery itself of Moore's disappearance was really enough for us to look at uh, kind of on the side and think, wow, this is really fascinating. And the more you look into it, the more it became uh, sort of like an onion where you're unraveling things that also don't have more answers, but lead to more questions. And we never thought in the beginning that we could actually have an impact on the case, on the actual solution of the case. And what was just as interesting were the people that Tim said were the citizen detectives who were very passionate about their theories and their work that they put into it. So, yeah, when we reached out to them, we got a couple that were receptive. But for the most part, these people like to keep things close to the chest. So this is like a passion project, a hobby for people. They get home from work, they get on their computers, mm -hmm. and they start digging through evidence. And yeah. sometimes it escalates. Yeah. Sometimes it turns into people need to take a step back. Some people have actually gone up there by themselves and gone through the woods. Not recommended. Don't right. do that. You're yeah. going on to private <laughs> property. But they'll, they start seeing like a darkness in themselves, and they say that. They'll start oh, seeing a darkness from going up there alone. Tim and I have the luxury of being able to bounce things off each other and keeping it light when it has to be right. light. Um, and it is luxurious. It is, yeah. yes. Right. Very. When you, when you look at people who have a, a, you know, they're married, they might have children, they have a job, and then it starts to take away from that. And and they mm -hmm. at some point they don't even realize why or we'll how it certainly happened. get into right. the details of the case. But I am also intrigued by the fact that you said so many people see themselves or their sister or their girlfriend that's, in this particular yeah, that's fascinating. case. And then so we had that conversation and I got home and next thing I know, I've listened to three episodes and I'm looking through old cross country race results from 2001 to see if we ever raced against each other. You know, it's like. I don't know, it gets into your head where you want some sort of connection to this very personal case. And I think everyone, like you were saying how people like to keep it kind of close to the chest sometimes, like the, because they think that they're going to be the ones who solve it and figure it out, right? right. It's like, yeah. it's me, I'm going to do it. But unfortunately, there is no key to the city. Uh, you will not be given a key to the city, and there is no glory in doing this. So that is something we had to learn uh, probably the hard way. I mean, I think when you kind of get into something like that, you really think you can. Um, or, like, I don't know if you think you can, but it, like, it gets to a point where your obsession kind of makes you think, I can, you know, I'm really doing something here. But really, I have to take a step back and realize that you're not going to get the key to the city. You're only becoming obsessed more right. and more, and it's taking away other things that you should be doing. And what a romantic concept it would be to go and uncover this clue that no one else has uncovered in 14 years and, and say, this is it. This is the connective tissue between this and this. And you've done it. 
And like Tim said, you're not going to get a key to the city. And what else is not going to happen is the police are not going to communicate with you. You can give them this, right. and they're not yeah. going to come back to you and, and say, this You've is, done it. You've done it. You really did it. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Here's the key. And a parade. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. It takes a long time to establish a relationship with law enforcement. So in terms of the success of the podcast, then, how much was it important to you folks to have large entities like Oxygen or um, like James Renner involved? Well, I yeah, I would say it was it's pretty important. Um, James Renner was the first person that we uh, documented in our documentary of uh, following people who are obsessed with the case, and we went to uh, Quebec, Canada, with him in search of Mora. Uh, he thought she was there, um, and then with the Oxygen documentary, it just w when the opportunity to do that uh, appeared to us, it was like. To us, it was kind of a no-brainer because there was a professional investigative journalist, Maggie Freeling, who was going to be, be joining the team, and also a former U.S. Marshal, Art Roderick, who's got a, an amazing uh, career in law enforcement. So we're like, we need these people. Get the resources. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a show that they, they put money into. We're just independent filmmakers <laughs> slash podcasters. We don't have money to, like, investigate stuff and really do what we want to do. Did you see um, a spike in downloads of your podcast when that came out? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Gotcha. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the breakout podcast success, Missing Maura Murray, and the actual case itself. Um, we'll be right back on Poppin'. Welcome back to Pop It. I'm Molly. And I'm Sarah. And we are here with Lance and Tim of the Missing Maura Murray podcast in Crawl Space. It's yeah. usually Tim and Lance. Is it? <gasps> yeah. Oh, shoot. Thank Lance, you, Lance and Tim makes more sense to me in my oh, alphabetical. Me too. Me too. <laughs> That was very big, order. very big of you, Lance, to point that. Out. <laughs> yeah. Always the bigger one. Um, we <laughs> we would like love that. to hear about some of the finer details yes. of missing Maura Murray um, and the case itself. Mm. Sure. Right. So the important uh, the important details would be uh, sort of statistics. Okay. Describe. <laughs> you point to me like I'm going to rattle off a bunch <laughs> of statistics. Well, her her age when she went missing, because ultimately okay. you you know you want to you want to know the, the the statistics and you want to know you know basically the the missing right. poster. Instead of mansplaining what statistics well, are, actually, maybe give us some well, statistics. Well, actually, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so Maura was 21 years old. She went to UMass Amherst and she drove to the White Mountains uh, about two and a half hours from her dorm up 91 we think and crashed her car single car accident on route 112 in north haverhill new hampshire on a monday night at about 7:30 p.m about right and she was in the vicinity of at least four four homes within maybe 150 yards the house directly across the street called 911 and spoke to a dispatcher saying that there was a single car accident and reported seeing a female there. Um, she was approached by a man who lived up the street who was driving his bus. He drove for the school district, was driving his bus home. The driver was approached. Mora was approached. Yes, yes. Mora was approached right. by the uh, the driver of the bus. He asked, he tells her, uh, I'll call the police. As she says, don't worry, or something to the effect of, no need, she's, I've she's, called AAA. And he goes on to his home. 
backs his bus in and goes inside where he proceeds to call uh, 911 as well. Yeah, so th- those are two uh, two witnesses there. And before the police show up, which was about 10 minutes later after that first call, she is gone, and there's never been a sighting since. And, and the- there's snow in the woods and everything and no sort of footsteps. Right. Or- right. Yeah, the car prints. was left locked. Yes. Right? The, ca- the car was locked. Damage and to it, yeah. There was a backpack missing. So she took her backpack, cell phone, wallet, car keys. There's never been uh, a, hmm. a ping from the cell phone since. There's never been a credible sighting of her. There's no one at the scene who even says that a car slowed down. So, wow. Uh, it was uh, February 9th. So the 2004. 2004. So the snow was at a considerable level uh, in the woods. Um, you wouldn't even Today, you probably wouldn't go up there and think that you could run into the woods with any degree of success, let alone February, dark. It's And she was quite the runner, am I right? right. She was a track star, yeah, a, uh, a track star in Massachusetts in high school, and she was on the UMass track team as well. Before she was at UMass, did she attend another university? She did. She went to West Point uh, in New York for, I believe, two years or, or a year and a half. Yeah, she left in her sophomore year. Okay. Why did she have to leave? She was, uh, she had some disciplinary, uh, she had an incident where she shoplifted a, a bit of makeup from the school store. Mm-hmm. From the, the gift shop at Fort Knox right. on, on a trip, yeah. So you'd say that that's a violation or a code of conduct. Right, gotcha. Um, so how about at UMass, what was her track record like there? Had she gotten herself into any trouble? No, actually, we, we've heard some kind of conflicting reports. I, I'm not even sure she was officially on the team at this point, at the point she went missing. I think she was uh, on the injured list at that point. So I'm not sure her UMass racing or running career really took off yet. And I don't believe that she got into any of – well, I mean, she she had a, a situation where she had stolen the credit card number of one of her – one of her housing mates mm-hmm. um, used it to purchase food at local pizza shops. And after a while, this person noticed these charges and realized that there was something going on. So they did this sort of sting operation and managed to reprimand her. But she wasn't officially arrested. There's a picture out there that looks like a mugshot, but it's a police photo of her at her dorm. It's UMass not, police as UMass well. UMass police. Oh, gotcha. Now, you mentioned there are a lot of individuals, these armchair detectives who are obsessed (laughs) with this case, um, and we mentioned the author, James Renner. Who is he, and what is his theory? Yeah, he wrote a book called True Crime Addict, and he's been doing a blog on the Maura Murray case, which he recently shut down, but he he had been doing it since 2011, and he believes she ran away. I think he's since changed that uh, theory, though. Um, Yeah, I think, I'm not sure... I'm not sure he's like officially said what he what he believes. But he thinks like she might still be I, alive. I, I think, think it, he thinks she's not alive at this point. Right, okay. but oh. the the motivation for her to leave, his theory is still the same. The result of her disappearing is different. So uh, her running away was because, and he says it in the Oxygen show, she was running from the men in her life. I'm pretty sure he still believes that that she was running from the men in her life, but I don't think that he still believes that she's alive somewhere in Canada. Uh-huh. Now, Molly, I know you came across a letter um, that you had mentioned to me on their website specifically regarding yes. one man in her life. Right. Um, like into the her father, Fred, and the family. Because yeah. I thought that was really interesting. 
And it's not something um, that you think of when you start a podcast up and that kind of thing, when you're just like, oh, we're going to talk about something that we're interested in and Sometimes then go it from feels there. Like we're the only ones in the room. Right. Listening. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting and really big of you guys, if you want to talk about that a little bit, like well, kind of what happened with that. Well, yeah. I mean, we started this podcast not not even thinking the Murray family would listen. Uh, it, it wasn't something we that really even crossed our mind. Mm-hmm. We, we knew that we had this project that, that we weren't like plan, planning on uh, needing them. You know, we, we didn't really w- want to bother them, honestly. And we didn't think we could help with the investigation. So we didn't want to... Mm-hmm. Uh, bother them so right quite literally the same thing as you said we were we were just two people in a room yeah yeah we're gonna talk about it and it's gonna be fine yeah. <laughs> yeah. right Perfect. yeah and yep. uh and so you know it time goes by uh we the the downloads started going up we kind of realized we had um a chance to make a difference and then we, and then we got contacted by the texas crew production company uh in regards to the uh future oxygen show and we kind of uh, I guess took took this role of trying to be as responsible as possible and and correct any mistakes we had made and put out the right information or as close as we can find it to be correct um, and and kind of trying to help with the community in, at large. Yeah, and part of the that was that's part of the reason why we wrote that letter to Fred mm-hmm. and put it out there publicly because we wanted him to know and his family to know that it was. It, it, it was an apology of sorts, but it was also a, a, an explanation as to why we feel like it needs to be this journey, that right. we need to make mistakes. We The mistakes were mm-hmm. inevitable, and they, they they sort of have to be out there. And we had talked to Julie, Maura's sister, and she said, "If you know, my, my father w- would appreciate you doing something like that. And we said, we've been considering doing this. We just weren't sure if it was going to be appropriate. Right. So, right. yeah. Now, I know you're bound to make mistakes, but also there have been plenty of people that have led you astray. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the threats you've received or the, the false clues that people mm-hmm. are sending you? Uh, yeah. How long? We have an hour? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were some threats early on that were made uh, in the in the early run of the podcast, and um, something that that kind of creeped us out a bit. Um, I mean, you they they in retrospect they probably weren't as bad as no they definitely. and who knows maybe they were, but looking back at it now, if that if that happens, we probably wouldn't react the same way. But again, we were two guys who started it in Tim's porch and then, then, you know, we blink and the next thing we know we're being told that we, you know, oh, here's a reference to someone else who died up in that area and no one knows how they died because they didn't mind their business. And so right. we were, we're like, are you threatening us? And, right. and then it's like, no, that's not a threat. Like, well, it sort of seems like a threat. So, I mean, again, in retrospect, maybe we treat it differently now, but we were planning on doing something that was going to be pretty strenuous anyway. And we pulled the plug on that. Yeah. Have any of your new projects elicited threats? We did get, uh, get one, um, one from our empty frames podcast. Um, don't really want to talk about it too much, uh, because, uh, wounds still fresh. Yeah. Can you tell us about empty frames? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Empty frames is about the Isabella Stewart Gardner museum heist that occurred in Boston in 1991. Very interesting to me. 1990. Oh yeah. Duh. Um, 13 pieces of art work were stolen. Uh, Degas, Rembrandt, and uh, there's a $10 million reward on this artwork uh, currently. That's a $10 million reward if all of the artwork is 
returned in good condition, according to the museum, all of it in in one lump delivery in good condition. They do have a reward of $100,000 for the eagle finial, which isn't a painting. It's a sort of something you'd see on top of a, a flag. And you can return that for $100,000. If, if you've got it. If so, you've got it. So take it off your Patriots flagpole. <laughs> yeah. Drive South, it on South down Boston. to uh, the FBI's office. Yeah. And uh, you might have immunity. Yeah. So the uh, the incident that we were talking about caused us to go through um, the, the previous episodes and make some adjustments based on this person's request. And... We uh, we had to recal- recalculate the entire season. Uh, wow! Wow! Yeah. So there's that. Also with uh, empty frames, if you go to change.org and you search for the Isabella Stewart Garden Museum, bring the artwork back. We had a guest on. His name was Paul Turbo Hendry, and he's got a really unique, uh, innovative, and logical plan to bring the artwork back to have people who stole it return it. And uh, if you sign it, we're looking for 100 signatures, and then that goes to Mayor Marty Walsh. But he is looking for uh, to itemize the price list. So instead of just the Eagle Finial being $100,000, make every painting or every piece of art uh, a certain price so that you don't have to return 12 or 13 together. Because he says that the the reward as structured is a bit of a trap. Like, right, it's it's very conditional. Right, like, and well, what are the chances that, that all 12 or all 13 are right. together? Like, basically 0%. Yeah. Although some people would have uh, another opinion and say that they are all together because none of them have popped up anywhere, so right. that makes sense. Uh, if they're if they're spread out, then you, you're more likely to see one of them. Hmm. These, these, this is the world we live in. Right. You know, <laughs> one day is a $100 million piece of artwork. <laughs> Uh, Well, when we come back, we're going to ask you a little bit more about your success as podcasters. We definitely want some advice as novice podcasters, what we should be thinking about in order to build our audience. And then we have a little bit on a lighter note, a fun game to play. We will be right back on 102.9 Unity Radio. You're sitting to pop it. to pop it i'm molly and i'm sarah so tim and lance i know there's a third project we haven't talked about yet crawl space and you do have a woman who is one of your hosts her name is chloe you want to tell us a little bit about crawl space and how chloe got involved yeah crawl space was a uh, podcast that we started also in the true crime genre uh to deviate to shift away from missing more murray because we were uh, speaking so much about more Murray and we had a lot of other thoughts about other true crime uh, uh, topics and just, you know, true uh, things in general. Just we, mm-hmm. we had a lot more to talk about and Crawl Space was just a way to open up the door for us to be a little bit more uh, free with what we talked about. Uh, and Chloe came aboard because she is a her official title is a psychiatric a, counselor, psychiatric counselor Wow. Uh, on a psych ward. Yeah. And she's she emailed us um, 
in the early days of Missing Maura Murray and uh, included a lot of digging that she had done in her email, like uh, some people she had talked to, some contact information from people, things that we hadn't even thought of doing. Um, and we were like, wow. And, and she, I think, was 21 at the time and was like, we might have a phenom on our hands. Here. Yeah. We, we yeah. didn't really know how old she was when we were communicating with her until... Well, no, she said it in her original email. She said, I'm the, I'm the age of Maura Murray that Maura Murray was. Oh, you know missing. what? I think I always took that as uh, she was her age then and she was old just because the way her oh, email like read to me right. seemed like a much older uh, young woman. Like right. the same age. Like she would be the same age now. Yeah. The idea. Yeah. Right. But uh, no, she is, uh, she is a psychiatric counselor and she really helps when we get into topics uh, I mean, th- there's a ton of psychology that goes on in, in true crime podcasting, so it's really uh, kind of ideal to have someone who is a professional in the field. Like an actual expert yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Chloe, mostly for the, the time, or f- for the first year and a half so, so far of Crawl Space, she's been mostly ingrained in our Brianna Maitland coverage. It's another disappearance of a woman who was 17 from Montgomery, Vermont in 2004. And uh, we originally got into that because it was so similar to Maura Murray because her, uh, Brianna's car was also by the, by the side of the road. Uh, we kind of peeked at it because maybe these two cases are connected. And so it really just led to a spinoff. And then we had met other people like Chloe and we're like, well, let's let's bring you in. Um, it'd be, be a nice perspective. And she's a natural and she's really good. Yeah. And uh, we're actually going right. to she's maybe, about to get maybe her own an podcast. announcement right here. Oh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're uh, we're gonna do. Uh, she's gonna have her own podcast with her sister. She has a twin awesome. sister. Oh, that's yeah, great. and who is also a psychiatric counselor. And so there's gonna be a new uh, podcast under the uh, Crawlspace Media umbrella called True Crime Twins. Oh, I love oh, that. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, count us in. Your first two. <laughs> so <listeners>. fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about earlier in the show the fact that men host 63 of the top 100 podcasts um, on iTunes, and there are only 13 hosted specifically by women and the rest are mixed so we do appreciate you bringing a woman into the fold and then helping her to find her own show that's awesome and we're curious what sort of advice you would give to novice podcasters we are only four episodes in and we need all the help we can get (laughs) (laughs) um I mean, right right off the bat, just keep going. Yeah, just yeah, just keep producing. Yeah, and a, a regular schedule is yeah. is helpful for people. They like to know when when their content is being delivered. Uh, social media obviously is a big tool that we use. Hashtags. Molly is a social media maven. <laughs> She's so I good. enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> there you go. It's my Emerson. Uh, Background. Gotcha. Nice. I learned how to do social media. That's what I learned at college. <laughs> Maybe we should get some tips from you then. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the content really is the key to the whole thing. If you have something good and and meaningful and important, and you're 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 good at uh, explaining it, then just keep going with it. It also seems like the more specific uh, a podcast is, the the more success it seems to have. Um, that's one thing we've kind of observed, I think. Uh, and, and there's a lot of room for pod, you know, a podcast of every single topic. You could do one on paperclips and <laughs> you would get, you would get people who are interested in paperclips mm-hmm. and embrace your peers too. In the industry, this isn't a competition. Some people think that it's a competition and more people are listening to this show or that show, but you know, this isn't the, you know, the nineties of like must watch TV, you know, <laughs> Tuesday or something. It's, you can listen to it whenever you can download this one and that one and this one and just listen to it whenever. Yeah. So the more you embrace your your peers and talk about their show and get on you know that you can have them on yours and just that cross-pollination it's really 
really important. And that goes kind of back to um, Call Your Girlfriend, which Sarah brought up earlier, the shine theory of like women yeah, lifting. If, if you don't shine, I don't shine. Yeah. You know, we lift each other up. Full circle. Uh, our guests for next week are two best friends and business women in the city of Worcester, Amy Lynn Chase and Renee King. And Amy is always saying a rising tide raises all ships. I was about to say that, but I forgot what the expression was. <laughs> But I'm glad that you mentioned the specificity of content because we found we founded this podcast for two particular reasons. You know, we wanted to fill the void. There aren't enough women's voices on local radio in Worcester. And the other void we found was that there's no comprehensive resource for wedding planning in the city of Worcester. So we actually talk a lot about weddings on this podcast. Nice. Now I know you guys are experts on missing people um, and there's. A great film that came out in 1991, yes. starring Richard Gere and <laughs> Julia Roberts. That's Pretty Woman. This one came out in yeah. This one came 1996. You're right. No, it was later than that. Yeah, it was 99. Or, I don't know. I, I went to see it, it in theaters, Sarah. All right, <laughs> man. I already don't know my specific okay. content. At any rate, Runaway Bride yes. is our topic for today's game. A little lighter. Um, as experts in the art of disappearing. This game will ask you to identify which of these scenarios actually happen and which were taken from the film Runaway Bride. I have to recuse myself because I remember Runaway Bride too well. Okay. <laughs> Number one. I just want to say Tim has this on at our studio at least three times a week. On a loop. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. The bride's entire fourth grade class is in attendance at the wedding. Three quarters of the way down the aisle, she walks off to the side. There's roughly a minute of solid confusion. Guests ask, last minute cold feet? Bathroom emergency? Before everyone realizes what is going on, the bride is whisked out of the church and an announcement is made. The wedding is called off. So is so that is runaway bride or... or a real runaway bride? Yeah, and to remind you, there are um, four different times that she runs away in <laughs> okay. the movie. I remember there was something with a horse. She was on a horse at one point. There was that. We'll get there. I worked at, <laughs> I worked at a video store when this movie came out, but I probably never saw it. Um, is it, is it one with... answer for both of us or individual? You can, you can do individual. It's a true story, I think. It's not the runaway bride movie. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go with uh, this is runaway bride. This is a true story. Yes. Yeah. And as a teacher, I would be horrified oh my gosh, uh, if no all my kidding. kids were there to experience that. And you're right. It's 1999. All right. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <clears throat> after being proposed to at a butterfly farm in St. Thomas by an entomologist with a ring hidden inside the cocoon, the bride leaves the groom at the altar, plowing down the aisle, knocking old ladies out of her way like the running of the bulls at Pamplona. Shocked wedding guests rise in horror as she runs from the wedding. She drags the train boy up the second aisle as she leaves. The wedding is called off. That was definitely Runaway Bride, the movie. Yeah, I'm going to go with that as well. That is Runaway Bride. You are correct. At a backyard wedding, the groom is waiting on stage with a rock combo playing Grateful Dead music. He makes an introductory speech. The bride steps out onto the back porch. She walks with her father to a trampoline. She jumps on the trampoline, then dives into the crowd. They body surf her over their heads to the back fence. She jumps off the stage and runs up to a passing man on a dirt bike. She jumps on and is last seen waving as she rides away. The wedding is called off. Also, Runaway Bride, the movie. I, I, I want to. I just want that to be real. So I'm just because that's what I want. That is Runaway yes. Bride. Okay. The wedding is going to be a lavish event. There will be 28 members of the wedding party, and more than 600 guests have been invited. Just days before the wedding, the bride vanishes without a trace, sparking a nationwide manhunt. 
The bride emerges three days later, claiming that she had been taken hostage by a man and a woman in a van while she was out for a run. She later recants her story, admitting that she'd actually fled town of her own accord on a bus. The wedding is called off. <laughs> this one is true. This one must be true. <laughs> this one is definitely true. I think I remember true. that. <laughs> okay. Another man stands in for the groom during the rehearsal. The man shares a passionate kiss with the bride and admits his feelings for her. The groom is chagrined, becomes jealous, and punches the man in the face before he storms out of the church. In the aftermath, the man proposes that he and the bride get married, since the wedding was already arranged. At the altar, the bride gets cold feet and flees on a FedEx truck. The wedding is called off. Oof, this one stumped me. I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. God. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, this is the movie. I'll go real on this one. This is the move. Oh. I remember the punch in the face. Do we have time for one more? Yep. It's a tie. We need, we need to right. do one more. <laughs> this is it. The groom doesn't show up to the altar. He says he has cold feet. The couple stays together and then plans another wedding. He stands her up again. Somehow they stay together and she agrees to attempt to marry him a third time. He shows up, they wed, and have now been together for 45 years. <laughs> That one's real. That's real. That's real. That was a oh, giveaway. We need a tiebreaker. Yeah, like <laughs> All right. I got one more. Yes. Okay. Well, let's see. <laughs> the bride gallops away from the ceremony on a horse. Runaway bride. <laughs> Runaway bride. Yes. <laughs> I, All right. I declare you both <laughs> champions. Yes. Are we going to talk about Kelly Square? I mean, this, this is, <laughs> we need to talk about Kelly Square. What is going on with Kelly um, Square? Well, you know, I think that that whole neighborhood is undergoing some mm, revitalization. So, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on Kelly Square. But I like how people have to pause and make eye contact with each other. <laughs> oh, it's terrifying. When you're entering Kelly Square, it feels like you're about to go down a waterfall. It's like, no, 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 no. Whoa, no, let's not. Let's turn around <laughs> before this mistake. happens. A waterfall with cars coming at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that bride would not get very far. Yeah. No. Oh, good one. Um, we will be right back on Pop It. <laughs> 